writers, agents, and publishers, for the first time since the Gutenberg Press, find themselves lost in a maze of mystery as technology alters the shape of the publishing industry. Searching for Answers is a group of writers throwing pop culture, writing, and publishing into a crucible of clarity, passion, and humor. This group is the Right Pack. And in five, four, three, two, one. In this episode of Right Pack Radio, the Right Pack is going to discuss what makes us say nope to stories out there. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Right Pack Radio. This is your host and producer, David Allen Lucas, author and martial arts instructor, president of St. Louis Writers Guild, and with so many hats on. I think I should just start calling myself a haberdashery. And with me today is my lovely co-host. Hello, I'm Kathleen Cayende. I write speculative fiction. Um, my novelette, You Will Always Have Family and Triptych, will be appearing in the Best Science Fiction and Fantasy 2018, edited by N.K. Jennison, series editor John Joseph Adams. And um, I also have a short story in the Best Science Fiction and Fantasy of the Year, uh, volume 12, edited by Jonathan Strand. Excellent. Also with us today is my lovely wife. Hi, I'm Melanie Lucas, and I uh, finished writing the outline for my new short story, so now I'm back to writing my fantasy novel. And since we're recording back to back, now we haven't made any actual progress on it. Right. And with me also is our personal Madame of Mayhem and Murder. Fedora Amos, I write Victorian whodunits like Jack the Ripper in St. Louis, and Mayhem at Buffalo Bill's Wild West, and soon to be released from Five Star Cengage, is Have Your Ticket Punched by Frank James, who is, as you know, Jesse James' smarter brother, the one who lived. I'm also president of Greater St. Louis Sisters in Crime, and I will be appearing at Magna Cum Murder in Indianapolis on the 20th of October. Excellent. And also with us coming from Hannibal, Missouri, is the man of fantasy himself. I'm Ryan P. Freeman. I write fantasy. Uh, I um, have a couple books out, Rainspell, The Great Isle Tale, and Trouble of Loves. Uh, also, now can announce uh, I'll be having a book signing at Quincy Books for the illustrated edition and a coloring book of Trouble of Loves, so I'm really excited. That will be Black Friday at Quincy Books for Quincy. Um, I am also the president and founder of the Hannibal Writers Guild, and I also offer author services for those who are interested. You can check out all my works and services at ryanbfreeman.com. And Ryan, are you going to be at Archon this year? That's that. For those who don't know, Archon is the Midwest premiere, one of the Midwest premieres science fiction fantasy cons. Are you going to be there? I want to be, um, okay. but I, I think I have fill pay jobs over the summer, and that's where all finances So If I will, if I will be, it'll be just for the speaking uh, at the panel, which are awesome, by the way, those who are listening. Uh, Archon is a wonderful, wonderful place. You can learn a lot. You can get inspired. You can check out other people's writing. You can, you can learn from all sorts of industry professionals. It's an awesome, awesome place. Cool. I wasn't sure. I think I want to say Jennifer will be there and Brad will be there, but I can't confirm that. They're neither one's in today's panel, so yeah. um, tune in next time, and hopefully, I'll, hopefully they'll be announcing whether they'll be there or not. Okay, today's topic is what makes us say nope, and this topic has been inspired by a blog that's out there, written. Um, Looking for her name, and I'm sorry I'm not seeing it. But you can find it on heathersreadinghideaway.blogspot.com. Thank you. It's a blog post called The Nope Book Tag, posted August 18th, 2018. Exactly. And what we're going to do is, there's 16 questions on this blog, and I'm going to go through them. I'm going to read them off. And what I'd like to do is have the panelists to today's um, podcast Look at this from both a reader point of view, and then I want to talk about your own work as well. 
as we're doing stuff, what makes you say nope as you're writing something that stops you in your tracks and say, I don't want that story to go down that direction or character or etc. So the first one is a nope ending. This is a book that made you go nope, either denial, rage, or simply because the ending was crappy. And I'm going to start off, and then I'm going to turn it over to Ryan, who is raising his hand. Um, I'm going to start off as a reader point of view first. There was a favorite author of mine. Her name is Anne Rice. Yes, Interview of a Vampire fame, as well as other series. And by the way, I, I can't wait till the second version, second, the sequel to The Mummy finally comes out. But I was reading The Witching Hour. And I was told by the person who loaned me the book not to read the epilogue, which I consider now be the ending. The epilogue, the ending of the book up to the epilogue, finally my heart was pounding heavily. I wanted to know. I could not resist reading the epilogue. In my humble opinion, the epilogue was written so out of character that it made me slam the book and for the briefest microsecond forget that I didn't own the book and almost throw it in the trash across the room of the cafeteria I was reading it in. I did not do that. I actually stopped myself mid-throw. Um, but it did stop me reading Anne Rice for over ten years. So that's my nope book. Ryan, over to you, and then Fedora. Okay, well, I'm going to bring up the series that everybody likes to hate on, uh, Twilight. Okay. Uh, um, I know it's a low-hanging fruit, but yes, I read the series. I was injuring up at a camp at very high altitude, so I had, like, altitude uh, sickness and mind loss. <laughs> uh, but anyways, I read it, and as a guy... Like, yes, I know there's all emotions and junk, and, uh, but, like, as a guy, I'm like, okay, but the payoff is going to be this great battle at the end. It's going to be this cool battle at the end, and it'll, it'll, it'll pay off for, for all of the suffering I've had to go through reading this. And, um, spoilers, and you know what, it's been out for a while as a movie series, so you know what, spoilers. There is no big battle at the end. They talk it out, and I was so upset. I was I, I finished it, but I, I have never read it again, and I don't think I will. Okay, Kathleen, you got a dovetail. Oh yeah, so I haven't read the Twilight books because I took a vampire class, and we read two pages, and I was like, "Not today, Satan." It was bad. It was horribly written, and I couldn't. And also, Cleolinda did wonderful send-ups of the Twilight series, so I read those and felt like I participated. But um, I hear in the last Twilight film, they actually do have the battle that you're wanting, that you're wishing that they had, and then they retcon it. But, like, the battle is actually there for a second. But it's all a dream. Yeah, they they retcon it. It's super whatever. But, yeah. um, Did you see that movie? Did you get to at least have that battle for a minute? No, you know, I I gave up after, like, the third one. I just, like, I can't. I just can't. But I heard about it. I heard about it. And I was like, yeah, they tried. Okay, that's what happened. (laughs) They gave it stakes for a minute. Oops. Yeah. Vidora. I read lots of mysteries, and there are two kinds of endings that I think are absolutely horrible. And one is the ending that has been prominent all along and is therefore extremely predictable and therefore somewhat boring. So I don't like those. And the other is the magic ending in which... Nothing that came before makes any sense in the ending at all. Some uh, deus ex machina comes down and changes everything around and makes a snappy conclusion. And that's not playing fair with the mystery audience. So I abhor both of those kinds of endings. No, um, well... I just called Kathleen Melanie for a second. My apologies. You look so much alike. <laughs> Melanie, you yeah. could be twins. Yeah, I mean, after all, Kathleen's black, Melanie's white. Yeah, yeah it look like I'm half white. You could just be seeing my mother in me. Okay, there you which go. Which no one else does. Um, <laughs> welcome to America. Um, so I, I love the Harry Potter series very, very much. But that epilogue, I do not. I do not like the epilogue. 
I do not consider it my own personal canon. And, like, finally J.K. Rowling's like, yeah, I shouldn't have written that epilogue, though. And I'm like, thank you. Because um, there are a number of notes that we'll get to on this list, one of which is ships. But, and, and the epilogue kind of includes some of that. But, like, I have some problems with the ships that are in the epilogue. I have some problems with, um, with the names of Harry and Jenny's children. I have some problems with Harry, well, with uh, Ron and Hermione having had children at all. <laughs> or being together at all. Hold, hold all those for ships coming up. Yeah, but I mean, like, character-wise, um, I didn't like the epilogue for Harry Potter for a number of reasons, but in terms of Harry and Ginny's children, I I have yet to see a marriage where only one person names all the children that is in a first-world country where people are supposed to have equal rights across gender. They don't, but supposed to. Like, I take extreme exception to Jenny not naming any of the children she carried in her womb for nine months and just being like, nah, you can name them, Harry. It's fine. These people have no attachment to me whatsoever, but name our children. Have fun with that. And on this note, okay, oh, I, no. I can't help to address <laughs> a little bit of that. I agree that the afterwards probably shouldn't be have written, but I actually. In general, everything in the afterword was, was yeah, actually yeah. foreshadowed pretty epilogue. well. Epilogue, excuse me. Epilogue was foreshadowed pretty well. Um, yeah, no one seems to fall in love after high school is a problem. But uh, there are many. But the whole uh, Ginny not naming any of the kids, uh, I would take issue with the fact that uh, she had a relationship with Albus Dumbledore. It's not as deep as a relationship as Harry did, but I think she might have had some say in that. One name out of four? What were the other... Okay, I, Sirius, yeah. Okay, that's definitely Harry. What were the other three... The, Snape was one of the names? Yeah. But, you know, again, that was her teacher, too, and she was through all those events, so you could say that... Mm. Um, mm. Okay. Uh, no. The, the glass are being thrown down here. I'm not. Okay, but, what, what's no. the, but that was the first middle name. Okay, then there are no recently related names in that list. Those you are know all how many siblings she curious. has, and how many nieces and nephews that have already taken those names, and how much of a life she has outside of Harry Potter. Like, I'm sorry. Like she, she has her own life, her own friends, her own people, presumably that are not Harry, Hermione, and Ron. Sorry, Fedora's shaking her head at us. Like, I have so many feelings about this, though. <laughs> yeah, so we many feelings. I've opened no, up the can can this question. No, but I can definitely see her not naming them after one. any of her siblings, because, again, <clears throat> she has a lot of nieces and nephews at this point. She's the youngest. Mm, those are her kids, though. Like, No, but I mean, friends, sure. Hey, hey uh, Ryan's going to jump in here with something aimed at what's going on. Yes. Just so long as we can agree that Cursed Child was a mistake. I haven't read that. I just oh. note my way out of it. No, good. That, that's a perfect example of that. Just don't. Just, just don't. Wow, okay. Like, I'm sorry, the books one through seven sans epilogue were beautiful to me, and I, I can't I can't add or subtract to that. Like, I can't. Okay. I'm gonna go move on before we lose time with just being stuck on one. Mm-hmm. We could with this one. Oh, um, I could go for hours. I rest my case. <laughs> A nope protagonist. This is a main character you dislike and drives you crazy. Over to Fedora. Who you can right have Hannibal Lecter. Take him out of the context of any literature. I hate cannibalism in any form, and especially Hannibal Lecter. He's not technically the main character of... Uh, Close enough. Okay, over He's to... He's not the narrator character, but he is a main character. He is He's a major character. character. Over to Ryan. Okay, uh, this is a book that I brought up a couple times because it's, it's a book I hate the most. The Awakening by Kate. Jump in, jump in. Jump in. Kate, yeah. I hate it so much. And it's predictable, it's dumb, and like it's whiny. Like, arguably, I, I hate it more than the last Twilight. And, um. Well, um, Ryan, you and I, I could have a I, few I, words <laughs> over that one. You don't understand it. That's your problem. A whiny, do nothing martyr. Like, that just it grinds my gears to no end, and, and I hate it. And I have no understanding of the 1890s at all. None. 
I, I got in trouble, and I got in trouble for my book report on it too. <laughs> and we're supposed to say how you really feel about the book and, and how you really feel about the main character. And uh, for those those who, who know the ending, and this is terrible to say. I realize it's terrible, but I hate it this much. And in the end, the main character kills herself. It's supposed to make this big like point about uh, like first wave feminism and stuff. And um, I was just like I was I was I was happy with what she finally did. <laughs> I, I quoted my my sources. I named my my spots in the book. I got a pair of t-shirts. Sorry. <laughs> Over to Kathleen, and then I'll go with mine. Go for it. So, uh, I really miss Chanel right now, because Chanel could go in with me about this. Um, there's uh, the Porson series, the Old Kingdom series by Garth Nix that is fabulous. Um, uh, Sabriel, Lyriel, Porson. And uh, then it goes back in time to book Clarial, and then it goes back to the regular timeline and it has Golden Hand. Those books are all great fun, except Clarial. Freaking Clarial is backstory for a villain that seemed like a throwaway at the time. Um, and she's the main character of an entire book. And the whole book, she is whiny and kind of a sociopath and a little feral and is just completely unlikable. Like, she she doesn't... I understand that it's a villain journey, but you, you're not supposed to start off the book thinking this is going to be about someone who turns into a villain. She's just unlikable from the beginning, and she never gets better. Like, I I couldn't stand that book. Like, the reason I finished the book was because Chanel was like, once you've read this, you can read Golden Hand. Just read it for the lore. I know it's terrible. And I remember when she was reading the audiobook and, like, complaining about it, I was like, surely it can't be that bad. This character could not possibly be as... Yes, it is. <laughs> yes, she is. Just... Go live in the forest and don't bother anyone and destroy entire kingdoms, please. Okay, Melanie, you're dovetailing, so then I'll go after you. Yeah, you just inspired me to think of a character. Wasn't quite that bad, but I'm sorry. Anakin Skywalker. Oh, little orphan Annie. Well, especially when he gets a bit older. Oh, goodness. I, I, I'm with you. Yeah. Yeah, the, the orphan Annie, he was actually okay as a little kid. He... When he grew up, and is oh my gosh, that that's another villain's journey, like villain backstory. Except that he he doesn't really start off terribly likable, and he just continues along that vein, becoming less likable. And I know I'm not going for the Clone Wars. That's a different. That's a different no, just end. the prequel trilogy. Yeah, just the prequel. yeah, yeah. Um, I racked my brains over this one, and I thought I knew, but then I really came up with one that made me even stop reading the book. The entire series is written by, and yet is written by one of my favorite authors of all time. The author is Arthur Conan Doyle, which everybody knows mostly for Sherlock Holmes. Mm-hmm. But he also wrote the Professor Challenger series. Um, for example, the first book was The Lost World. That's the only book of that series I read. Professor Challenger, the main protagonist, was a, how should I say, sexist is putting it mildly. Sexist is putting it very nicely. Misogynistic? Oh, beyond that, yes. And it, I just could not get past, get to the point where I could even like this character. So, it became, he became a nope character for me. Okay, a nope series. A series that turned out to be a huge pile of nope after you've invested all the time and energy on it. Or a series you gave up on because it wasn't worth any. I'm going to go with Kathleen, then Ryan, and go from there. Kathleen. Sorry, I, I might go first on a bunch of these because I've started listing down ahead of time mm-hmm. what I'm going to rant about. Because this is a rant topic. What more? Um, so, this is this is kind of a note series. Um, so, I love the Anita Blake series by Laurel K. Hamilton to a point. <laughs> I miss Chanel in this again. We could go in. Um, oh, no, I can go in with you on this one. Yeah. Yeah, actually, I'm sitting here good. nodding my head very hard. So, agreed. The Anita Blake series is a paranormal investigator series that is absolutely wonderful. Um, Anita Blake is the, the titular character, and um, she solves mysteries and raises the dead and has, you know, love triangles with supernatural creatures that are extremely handsome, but she does not sleep with any of them. That is established early on. Um, 
after the book Obsidian Butterfly, the series breaks, like, it breaks its own canon kind of irrevocably, and it breaks its own series rules, and it breaks its own character rules, and it becomes an erotica series with, you know, sprinklings of plot, which is not at all what I signed up for. And well, with with a few books that actually have plots, but only so, sprinkled in there. That's what so, Yeah, so, um... I like erotica, I read erotica, I write erotica. I got angry because it broke the, the author-reader contract. And, like, I couldn't get into a book series that was no one that I was familiar with, even with the same names, and not what I signed up for. Um, and I hear that, like, enough enough happened, enough people kind of were like, what just happened to Anita Blake? That she started phasing the series back into more paranormal investigation. But uh, I, I, and then I have she been went burned. back the other way, and then she uh, goes back. It kind of goes back and forth. So, like, I that was around the time I started not finishing books, and and that was one of the first books I just was like, no, I can't finish this. The series ends at Obsidian Butterfly, and it's <laughs> beautiful, just as it is. There you go, Ryan. Um, I know this is really very clean for me because I, I write high fantasy, and I, I probably should love it, but I don't. Um, I. Uh, I couldn't do the Wheel of Time. I, that's a big old classic, you know, or whatever. And like, first of all, the jerk of the author, and I had to have the, the goal to die and finishing it. Jerk. Um, <laughs> but he planned that. Like, like, I feel like all his female characters just like irrationally hate men. And it's like, and at one point, even when I was, when I was looking at was not my wife, I was like, is that, is that what you really think? And she's like, no, of course not. You know, but like it was so all over the place. It's like really like are we that like just just hopeless creatures? I know I can be dumb, like I'm the first one to say, but like that dumb all the time. Um, and also like after reading so much of it, it just I don't know if it was just me. Or maybe certainly got sick. Like I feel like he, he doesn't he doesn't like quickly wrap like he doesn't wrap up like. Evil, like the main evil behind it, um, it, it just kind of drives on and on and on. Like, I don't like torture for torture's sake, and I felt like that's what was going on. What was it, torture porn? Yes. You're, you're dovetailing in, Kathleen, and I'm coming over to Fedora for that. Uh, so, um, let's see. Sort of truth. So there are a bunch of, like, high fantasy classic series that I haven't read. Um, because they're not the sort of things that I can really get into or, or identify with, and high fantasy is not as much my thing. But um, the with the sort of truth series, have you heard of that one by Terry Goodkind? Yeah, I've heard of it. I don't think I've read it. So I read Wizard's First Rule, which mm-hmm. is the first book, and it was entertaining, like the mm-hmm. first couple chapters. But like, it was not my kind of series. Like, people had recommended it backwards and forwards because it's, like, one of the classics of our genre. But, like, they're... No, oh. the weird thing is, I know I've read that book, but I, I'm sure if I picked it up, it would come back to me, but at this moment, I don't remember it. It's no, pretty much a sausage fest with dominatrix, dominatrixes. Like, mm-hmm. I just... There, we're much more, conscious, more, much more conscious now about the need for diversity in the books that are out there and a lot of the books that came pre we need diverse books a lot of the series that are classics that that are pre that kind of awareness of you know how to write female characters or how to have people of color in a series or you know things like that i don't really get into them so this could be a long list and i'm not getting into it but there are a lot of books like that but i just sorry over to the door once upon a time, John Updike was flavor of the month or the year or whatever. And he had a series about a character named Rabbit Angstrom. Mm. And I read Rabbit Run, which was the big book at the time. And that was the only one I ever read. I did not care for it at all. And I certainly didn't like Rabbit Angstrom either. So that is uh, answers to one and two. They made me read that for school. I, uh, I couldn't stand him. Well, couldn't at all. You and I are together on that one. That that falls into again that category of books where like 
people who can't write women or, you know, a non-white cast. Yes. It's more like the case there. I would agree. Yeah. It was just, there are some books that are like classics that are kind of offensive, and that one was one of them for me. And I had more than kind of offensive. I mean, absence makes the heart grow fonder. This is as fun as I've gotten, like, more than 10 years out of high school. Yeah. Right. And that's, that's something I think we talked about before, but like, everybody says these certain books are classics, but why? What makes them so classic? Because when you look at them, I don't know, and maybe it's me, we don't all know, could be. But like, they they all end in like suicides, murders, or both, or like they don't, they blatantly don't get characters right. Um, you know, and they have major plot hangs out, like, why why are these books so great? You know, I don't know. When they when they upset when they upset us so much. I'll just say I'm just gonna say this: the books I was made to read in high school, middle school, and so forth, there was not one, not one, zero that I actually liked. And there was yeah. one there was one book in eighth grade. I can read through some snoozers. I'll admit this. But when the first paragraph puts me to sleep, pretty bad sign. Um, we had two dovetails going on here. I'm not sure who was I lowered mine because I could say so much on this topic, uh-huh. and we are not here for that today. Uh, gotcha. That's an entire episode's worth of stuff. Uh, yeah. Well, we got a dovetail over here, yeah. and then we'll dovetail you. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. In partial answer to uh, Ryan's query about how they get to be classics, uh, they get, first of all, a lot of publicity. Second, they often win contests, Pulitzer Prizes, for example, and that makes them honorable and consider who the judges are on those things. And especially in the past, they were almost all white literary men. I wasn't going to say it. Thank you for doing it for me. Cool. Over to Melanie. And uh, not necessarily the ones that were just brought up, another speaking to that, some of them are classics because they say something very specific about the time that with which they were written. Um, one yes. thing I'm thinking of is a book that hasn't been brought up yet, and it is, I thought it was, it got female characters terribly, but was otherwise an interesting book, Stranger in a Strange Land. It was all about free love in the 60s, and that was, it was very reflective of the time it was written in. Uh, but again, it said a lot, it was a nice reflection of society. Hey, it, re- it predicted the mega churches and a whole lot of other things, but again, didn't not that it didn't have problems, but um, getting us back a little bit on target. A lot okay. of these things are, well, statement first. A lot of these things are caused by you can't write a book that everybody will like. So some of these issues are, yeah, not the audience for this book. So there's some people's nose, but some people would love that. Mm-hmm. And uh, other things is. As a writer, no matter what book you write, you're going to be somebody's notebook. <laughs> this is true. So, okay, I'm the only one who has no answer the Nope series yet, so I'll answer okay. this. And I did not even start to read it. And Ryan's already brought it up, we've already hammered it, so I'm going to leave it alone beyond saying Twilight. Yeah. Um, oh, and also I'm going to show one. Actually, I've got a second one with that Fifty Shades of Grey, oh, which yeah. started off as fan fiction of Twilight. Twilight because, point blank, I love vampire stories. And I've written some before and know the know the, a lot of the lore, the international parts of the lore where things change. I, and it just, I could not put aside disbelief long enough even want to pick up the book. Fifty Shades of Grey has something completely personal reason why I will not read it. Okay, moving on. A po- uh, number four, a nope, popular canon. Mm-hmm, now mm-hmm. I'm going to change. Not all of it. I'm, I'm going to finish it here. A relationship that you don't support. Now the actual written word is a ship that you don't support. But I mm-hmm. took that wrong for a moment, mm-hmm. and then I had to reread it. Thanks to Kathleen pointing it out. So I'm going to spell it out clearly. A relationship. That you don't support. Okay, just to stop Kathleen from going first all the time. Thank you. Wow, go Melanie. Okay, this is a few years old now, but pretty much every romantic relationship on Starship Voyager. Okay, TV show. Yeah, 
Some of it they hammered away long enough that fine, we came to accept it. But pretty much every relationship, it's like the people writing the scripts didn't bother to see the chemistry between the actors. And it's like, okay, there was this flirting going on between Insect Kid and Bolana. So what? They put Tom Paris and Bolana together, and that one at least they set up. Versus the last season where they paired off everybody like it was the love boat. Okay. <laughs> Over to Ryan and then Fedora. Ryan. Um, for me, it comes down to worldviews, like how people assume the world the world works. Even even fantasy novels. I I love Game of Thrones because of the characters, but I don't like his world. I, I fundamentally disagree with that. Um, and um, I I love um, uh, the series on YouTube, Epic Rap Battles of History, because they have J.R. Tolkien versus George R. R. Martin. And it's just epic, and I love it. Um, because you have these two completely, you know, fundamentally different ways of looking at the world. And I understand that 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 old George is trying to be realistic and gritty and everything, but it's just, it just, it goes against something very deep inside me. I, I don't, I don't personally believe the world is that awful. I don't believe people are, 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 are that awful usually. Um, and so, I can I can watch it on TV, but I, mean, I, I tried to go back and watch it from the beginning, from Game of Thrones in the beginning, and I had the thought popped into my head because I I I've watched you know all the way through all this, but it's not that too much. But this is the happiest in the first episode. This is the happiest they will ever be, and then it's just just soul crushing. You know? So there we go. That's my piece. Okay. Um, is there a relationship? Yeah. So I don't know. Um, is there really? Was that a relationship or? Um, you know, it's mainly focused on the starts. They're all together. They might have a little bit of, of, you know, bumping shoulders, but but you know, they're, they're basically they're they're a noble family. And and you know, you you learn you're learning some lessons, you know, and, and you know, you're starting to set the scene, um, and then it just gets just just utterly destroyed. Kathleen, I think you're doing a dub. Can I clarify? Um, So, so relationship is in romantic relationship is what this is about. I thought it was a joke. No, um, no, but like we could talk about nope worldviews, and that might be something to add to this list. That might be because Game of Thrones is also on my nope worldviews list. Over to Fedora. We'll see what we have. I didn't realize it was strictly romantic relationships. But what I'm thinking of are, are abusive family relationships that I cannot abide. I cannot abide child abuse. And I will not read book, generally speaking. I did read Bastard Out of Carolina and thought it was a fine book. But it was so depressing that, believe me, I'd never read another. Mm-hmm. And I can't attend along those lines. But actually, I'll stick with the relationship aspect of it. The book Lolita. I hate child abuse. And that, if you've not read Lolita, just look up the summary, you'll understand it. Understand my position. Go for it, Kathleen. Speaking of abusive relationships that may or may not actually exist, Mm because I haven't read Lolita, but, like, I have some words on it anyway. Um, So, I I have to be honest, I have not read these books. I have read summaries of these books, and I have seen um, the films in the case of uh, Twilight. Um... Canon ships Bella and Edward and Anna and Christian from the series that is that began as a Twilight fanfic. I don't I don't think those are healthy relationships. I think they're extremely abusive. Um, emotional abuse is a thing. Stalking is abusive. Like and um, bad BDSM is abusive. And um, oh, who's that? Folding Ideas on YouTube, who is fabulous, does a lukewarm. Uh, he has. Two videos. I haven't seen the second yet. A lukewarm uh, defense of Fifty Shades of Grey, mm-hmm. which is a fascinating video, definitely worth watching. Um, but in it, he talks about how the film Fifty Shades has actually made the relationship in the book, the relationship is taking the book in from the book less abusive um, because without Anna's running mental commentary in the book, the relationship that you see on the screen is much more even equal and whereas if you read her commentary in the book like she's in fear of this person a lot of the time and that's not healthy so 
I can't stand canonships that are abusive relationships and that portray the sort of thing that girls and women will look at and say, yeah, I would be okay with that sort of thing. That guy's dreaming. Because in real life, those things are, are awful and women die over these things. Like, that's not acceptable to me. Exactly. Okay, I'm going to move on to the next one, which is a nope plot twist. A plot twist that you didn't see coming or didn't like. And I'm going to add to that. Or a plot twist that seems completely unbelievable. Because it wasn't set up. Oh, God. Brad's not here. I know. I wish Brad was for this one. He'd have fun with this. Mm-hmm. Okay, who wants to go first on this one? Why don't you go on Brad's honor? I'm not Brad. <laughs> I can do one he might fight me on. Go for it. I wasn't... Okay, so... This could also go under, like, the, the trope or cliche one, but, like, it was all a dream. And this isn't a book. This is a film. And Batman v Superman, which is a terrible film unless you only showed up for the fight scene. <laughs> the very first scene took me out of the movie because Bruce Wayne falls into a cave full of bats. And the bats turn into a batnado and cyclone him up through the ceiling and out onto the ground. And I was like, what the hell is this? What the hell is this? And the movie just plot twist. It was a dream. No. No, you don't get that from me. And, and you know, I was, the movie got nothing from me the whole rest of the time. It just doubled down on insanity. With that said, <laughs> with that said, I will say there's one thing about that movie that I applaud. Mm. For the first time, Bill Finger was actually identified as one of the creators for Batman. Mm. That was the first movie that showed up where it said, Batman, created by, and finally have the two names. So they did okay on the credits, is right. what I'm hearing. <laughs> 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 My entire thing. <laughs> oh, good gracious. Uh, over to Fedora, then over to credit. Ryan. <laughs> I, I stopped reading a book about midway through because one character who was a central character, one mm-hmm. of two, had been uh, always described as being a rebel and defying her father and going her own way, and that gets her into trouble until this chapter in which she becomes better than Mother Teresa in altruism, which struck me as being just... You know, this is just too stupid to read anymore. That's all I quit. That's wow. the kind of plot twist or character twist, if you mm-hmm. will, that says, oh, no, this is not believable at all. And that's, I, actually, I'll, I'll, after Ryan, I'm going to come back to what threw me out of Anne Rice, and that, of uh, The Witching Hour, as my example. I'm glad you brought that up. Ryan. Um, because I read a lot of fantasy, um, it's, it's something that I'm kind of like hyper aware of. It seems like a monkey on my shoulder when I'm writing in turn two. Um, I love coming of age stories, but gosh, do they have to be done well because I need to know why this person is special. And if it's just because, it's hard for me to swallow. I understand. So I'm looking up, because I haven't read The Witching Hour since the 1990s when it first came out. Um, okay, yeah, I think that's the, char- the character there. Michael Curry is the character that threw me out. I didn't double check this. It's been a while since I've read the book. But anyway, the book is a little hard to get into. It's a long book. It took about 900 some odd pages just to get, for me to get into it. But I kept on going. Yeah, you're just saying something right there. So I did invest a lot. This main character who marries the one marries the female character. He is portrayed as I like to picture him as a man who put picked himself up by his bootstraps, self-made millionaire, grew up in poor poor background, etc., and became this very tough man. In the final by the way, spoiler warnings, um, in the final battle scene that's occurring is this demon we think of as a demon has been born out of his wife. Um, I won't go into the story. I don't want to give out everything else. But we have a fight occurring in the pool between Michael and the steamer. And Michael's having a heart attack. 
in the middle of a fight. And as that's occurring, end the chapter. And that's how the book technically would end, except for the epilogue. The epilogue, he's watching Mardi Gras. It's taking place in New Orleans. He's watching Mardi Gras. And I forget what character he has with him. There was a little young kid. And while he's watching this Mardi Gras parade go by, he, he's saying along the lines of, yes, a whiny voice here is, in, is on purpose. I hope my wife comes back to me. What the hell was that? That's, it was so out of character, it wasn't funny. So that was the plot twist which caused me to stop. That was my note. Okay, other notes. Um, well, I think uh, Kathleen's already set a note for the Anita Blake thing. The the whole succubus thing was a plot twist for her that uh, mm-hmm. completely. <laughs> Number six out of sixteen, mm-hmm. or seventeen, if we can get to it. We might this might turn into a two parter. Mm-hmm. Um, number six, a note protagonist action or decision, a character decision that made you shake your head. Nope. Like they would not have done it. It's I just talked thing. about one. So. Exactly, you did. I'm good with that. Well. Go for it. So I. I was wondering whether or not I should say this one. Um, but like, there are some protagonists who just make bad decisions, and those kinds of books are hard for me to read, because like. Because I don't like watching people who otherwise seem like fine people make dumb decisions that ruin their lives and everyone else's. And I also can't stand um, when a plot is built around someone making dumb decisions. Like, I want to read books about um, smart people making the best decision they know how with the information they have at the time. Um, And not causing trouble for themselves by making bad decisions, but making good decisions and having things still blow up in their faces. Like, I like those kinds of stories. Um... But um, the the main character in City of Glass by Cassandra Clare is not that kind of character. She does not make good decisions. Um, She does not make good choices. It messes things up for the people around her. Like, I just... that That's far from the only book where that happens. And honestly, that character wasn't the only one that did stuff like that. But, like, um, the, the entire... Not genre, but the entire character type of character does dumb things and therefore the conflict of the book happens is one I don't like. And so it's not just a single protagonist in this case. It's an entire subsection of every genre that I don't like. I'm going to dovetail in there. Yeah, I have, I, I'm sitting here thinking of um, character action decisions, trying to identify a specific book or a short story or so forth, but I'm with you. When... The character's decision is, what really drives me nuts, is when a character's decision is ham-fisted so heavily just to fit the plot instead of how the character would behave. Go ahead. I reminded myself of Star Wars The Last Jedi, guys. I will try and keep this under one minute. Mm -hmm. Oh, Um, good luck. I'm I'm taking bets. Go for it. There are a lot of decisions that are made in Star Wars The Last Jedi that are poor decisions... Um, that did not have to be poor decisions. Um, a lot of the, uh, well, the whole Finn and Rose subplot, the Poe, uh, the Poe Dameron, um, mutiny subplot, which are, you know, three of the four main characters of the film, or at least should have been, um, those decisions that they made, the plot bits that blew up in everyone's faces and screwed everyone over because of those decisions all happened because um, a leader in a military would not share any information with her subordinates in a situation where people needed to know something was planned, something was being planned at all. Like, I just, uh, I can't, I can't with that film. Where are, uh, you're, you're going to be next, but I need to jump in here. You know I groan almost as loud as you do with The Last Jedi. Mm. Um, so I'm not defending, but there is, there is a part 
in which in real world a, a superior ranked individual will keep information away from their subordinates and might only share with their very tight inner 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 circle. With that said, what you said is a is a hundred percent correct and did not make sense. The only reason why it happened in that story was because it wanted to be plot. It was hand plot. Paul literally says, Tell me we at least have a plan and she won't even do that. Right. Like that's irresponsible. Oh, okay. I'm done. Okay, over to Melanie on Infedora. Yeah, Melanie. I'd like to see under one minute. Yeah. I think so. I'd like to You uh, won the bet. One of the things that as a reader I have a hard time reading is when people are making poor decisions, but I'd like to make a distinction. In real life, people make poor decisions all the time and they do stupid things all the time and they keep messing up all the time and they should know better. So sometimes you're reading a book and the person is doing the wrong thing, but it's true to the character. You know the character should do A, but it's true to the character that they're going to do B just because that's the type of person that person is. They're going to drink the beer even though they're the alcoholic. They're going to be late even though they need this job. Okay. In the mystery world, we have a little kind of saying. It's uh, TSTL, too stupid to live. Yeah. And those are characters that we want not to have in our own mysteries. They are the kinds of characters who go into a dark basement without a cell phone, you know? Mm -hmm. They are just too stupid to live, and they do not make for good mystery. But they make for good humor. So if you're doing a humorous mystery, you might want to have a character that's too stupid to live. TV tropes, they're not genre savvy. <laughs> yeah. Um, I got Ryan, are you dovetailed? Okay. Mm -hmm. I got Ryan, I got I've got Kathleen on dovetail. I'm just gonna say you call it T L T Too Stupid to Live. T S T L. I always call it the Darwin Award nominees. Okay, go Ryan, go Kathleen. Ryan. This is just a small one. But it drives me nuts, and it's in books as well as TV, as well as movies. When, when the good guys are escaping, and, you know, they they, they knock out or overcome guards, and then they leave the weapons behind. <laughs> oh, yeah. And that just drives me nuts. It's like, it's right there. Pick it up. Like, it will help you. Anyways, that's all. Or they kiss it's when they're in. Desperate oh, space. Oh my gosh. They spend a lot of time kissing. That might be in the cliche, cliche <laughs> section, but that's definitely one of mine. Um, back to Too Stupid to Live and people who habitually make poor decisions. Um, uh, the Harry Plinkett review of The Last Jedi goes into this very well, I think. Um, he talks about one of the Nas National Lampoon's vacation or something. There's uh, the father in that film, the name of which I'm probably not getting correctly, is the kind of guy that habitually makes dumb decisions. Yeah. Like, everything he does is farce, and it can, it makes life for his family more and more difficult. But, like, that's a comedy. The The comedy is that that kind of character is going to make bad choices, and everyone's going to suffer for it, and it's going to get crazier and crazier. But, like, that's, that's a comedy. That, that that's, that's different from, say, a drama or a mystery or a horror like, in those genres, you don't necessarily want that kind of character as your protagonist. You want someone who's going to make good decisions to the best of their ability, and you want to see stuff still blow up in their face, because you're not there for laughs, you're there for whatever other genre it is. I was just thinking of Star Wars Rebels, which is a very well-plotted show, mm -hmm. and without giving away a specific spoiler... Given the title of the episode, it's not really a spoiler, but I knew for sure a character's death was coming because this was a smart plot. So when they took time in the middle of a battle to have a tender moment, I knew that character was going to die before they would have another chance for a tender moment. Um, can we talk about that real quick? I yeah. know this is like, this is probably under the, the trope or cliche bits, but like, since you brought it up, that is something that I'm not sure I'm a huge fan of. You can always, you can generally tell who's going to get murdered. <laughs> because they, they're not a huge character necessarily, but then they have some sort of like plot moment and character moment, and you're like, oh, I like that person. 
you're going to die. Oh, no. This was a ma- two major characters. They do mm-hmm. that with um, side characters, though. Yeah, like, they do that all the time yeah. with side characters. I remember, again, one time on Voyager, there was this character that you'd heard her name before, but never seen her, and she was on the shuttle with Chakotay. It's like, oh, you're so dead. Shuttlecraft, mm. Chakotay. No other characters. You're dead. <laughs> any, Star- any of the Star Trek original series that wears a red shirt, unless they're Scotty or a hurrah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And we are coming up. There's Clearly we're not going to make it through this entire list. Well, if we get through half, that'd be pretty good. That and would be good. Have, so we can have some other people waiting. We are going to go with number seven, which is a nope genre. A genre you will not read or rarely read. Um, actually, I'm going to borrow from Kathleen talking about characters making dumb decisions. And go straight into this one. Anything that's considered a romantic comedy is a nope for me. I don't care if it's a book, TV show, movie, etc. Because usually the romantic comedy hinges on the whole thing of all you need to do is spend five seconds talking to each other. Okay, that's me. Moving on, I've got Ryan going first. Um... My big thing with a couple of exceptions is horror, and it's not because like it upsets me, it's more because um, I find it predictable. Mm-hmm. Like, just generally speaking, I find it predictable, like, he's going to do that, like, especially, like, books are one thing, but movies are like, I, especially movies, I don't watch movies, because, like, that's going to happen, do that, the music is getting intense, yada, 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 you know, um, it, it's, it's boring to me. I like a movie I can't figure out. I like a story I can't figure out. And horror is something I can use your yeah. Okay, I got Fedora, then I got Kathleen. Fedora. I don't like anything that's too terribly uh, violent. I don't like spatterpunk, you know? I would agree. I don't like I, it either. I just, if, if the first page looks like it's going that way, I put it away. It's too violent for me. I'm in I'm in a similar boat with you. I'm not sure I'm on the same boat. That's why I'm dovetailing this real fast. Splatterpunk, which is usually violence for violence' sake, it seems no. to be and very yeah. frequent. Exactly. Blood on every page. Sometimes I don't mind violence at all. I've, I've had past which is extremely violent, but it needs to be true to the story. It can't be glorification. It needs to be endemic to the story, not exactly. just. There all the time for no reason. Yep. So basically, I, I'm actually in that boat with you. Like, I, I love me some good violence, some cinematic violence, and I love me a good beatdown. Um, but I do not take well to torture porn or gore porn, nice. which are basically um, things that are pornographically yep. full of torture or gore or, you know, for me, malice as well. Um, but I'm not a huge fan of military sci-fi. Um, I'm also not a huge fan of literary love stories. Like, there's a difference between romance and a literary love story. Romance has to have a happily ever after. That's one of the tenets of, of romance, um, that genre. But literary love stories, I find, do not necessarily end happily. Like, and one of the reasons I stopped watching um, queer love stories films in the 90s, 2000s, was because they all were, were called love stories, they were called romances, and they were not romances. Like, it ended unhappily. You were, if you were gay, you were going to end, uh, you were going to have an unhappy life, or die early and painfully. Um, Brokeback Mountain was the last straw for me. I was like, no, just no. So, I don't sign up for those things anymore. Right. You're on uh, mute, Nigga. I, I agree after a fashion. Um... My, my wife loves, like, romance and dancing, and I just can't. I just, when, when it's more about, like, like how, how the characters feel than it's about the action, I just, like, I start snoozing, like, the speed reading. And that's not something I like to do. No. Yeah, I was, I think I'd agree with the whole level of violence. Mine is even lower. First is Daredevil. I like the story, but it's a little bit too... Well, the, the violence is a bit too realistic for me. I can do an episode or two, but I can't binge watch it. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Yeah, but as for romance, yeah, um, can't do more than one or two at a time. Unless it's romance mixed with some other genre that makes it more interesting. Maybe there's a mystery mixed in or something else mixed in. I would like to point out, since everyone's disparaging my genre here, that romance subplots are an everyday thing. Yeah. Everything is a romance subplot. So, those of you who say you don't like romance just need to remember that A, you're married, so you must like it somehow, (laughs) and B, romance isn't everything, and... No, romance as a genre is often disparaged no. because it is a women's genre primarily, and I think that's pretty shady. It, it's but, not. Uh, it sorry, it seems like it like this, but I will give you research. Like I will give you research. I'm saying it without all that, but there are studies. Like just to clarify my position, I said romantic comedies. Difference. There's a difference between romance and romantic comedies. It's a, it's a romantic comedy I probably. I do. Um, actually, I, I have a cousin who is very prolific in the romance field. Um, she's even earned is a BETA or BET. It's from Rome. It's from the Romantic Time Romance Writers of America. Some type of oh, award. one of those landmark awards for yeah. ten or twenty or however many. Yeah, it was, it was like a yeah. Reader's Choice Award, basically, from Romantic Writers of America. I'll throw her name out here. Sarah M. Anderson is her name. Um, she writes cowboy, modern-day cowboy romances. Romances are good, but I do like it to have a subplot that's going on beyond their romance. So, yes. And yes, I am willing to admit, I'm a man who will read a romance. It's not one I read all the time, but hey, it's also a job, part of the subgenre I struggle with in my writing, so of course I'm reading them. Actually, I, I think more men are reading romances now. They, they get them on Kindles. Yeah. Yeah, right. They're not out romance readers, though. No, they're not. Because it's I still... sounded myself. You're one of, like, how many million? No, that... Oh, it takes us one to start. <laughs> yes. Yes. Okay, yes, Ryan. You're, you're jumping up and down there. <laughs> what? what? I, I just wanted to say real quick that I met your cousin. Yes, you have. I was at, at the Quincy Public Library. Uh, oh, I didn't see it up there. Yeah. I know. I know, David. And I was like, you do? <laughs> <laughs> All the stories she told you are probably not true. No, I'm just joking. No. Um, and I will say the last, uh, what was it, Mission Impossible movie, I found that, by the way, it was a good movie, but it was incredibly predictable. It was, at least at least to me, it was just as predictable as any romance. <laughs> yeah. Okay, we're going to hit the halfway mark here. With this next question, and then um, we'll pause it here. We will turn this into a two-part episode. Um, the next one is a notebook format. That's a weird. That's a weird one. I had to think about this for a while. A book format that you hate and refuse to buy until it comes out in a different edition. I'll go first, real fast, and I'm going to toss over to uh, Fedora, then over to Kathleen, and that is hardback. I don't tend to buy hardbacks. A, they're a little more expensive. B, they're also harder to shelf. <laughs> so that's my only reasons. Over to Fedora and over to Kathleen. Fedora. Well, this is not a format in that sense, but it is a format interior in a book. It is the present tense. I will not read a oh. book in the present tense. I look at the first page and put it down. And I don't care who wrote it. I'm not going to do it. Because it makes my teeth hurt. Oh, you're not going to like a lot of urban fantasy. I'm so I know. sorry. Then I probably won't read it. I certainly won't read it. There's a lot yeah, of urban fantasy that's past tense, too. But yeah, like first and third person tend to be the uh, the point of views of choice. Points well, of I'm, choice. I'm not uh, talking about person. I'm talking about tense. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Tense. I can yes. bring today, really. Yeah. <laughs> so, so you're probably good. I'm, I'm good with first though. person or third person. That's yeah. fine. Yeah. All right. Then you'll be fine with urban fantasy. Okay. But not if it's in present tense. I think not if it reminds me of, uh, you know, a California girl going, oh, how do you want to go there? Or there I go. Or there I went. No, it's never there I went. Um, so, my eyes are bad. And this answer is probably going to change in another decade or so. Mm-hmm. A large print for right now. 
Like you, I said, this answer is probably going to change. Like you, a you, won't read, you won't read it or you want to read it? It's a nope. It's a nope, nope. for me. I don't like large print. Like, it's too big right now. Um, but soon, unfortunately, soon. Um, I also, when I was uh, in, in high school, I thought I didn't like audiobooks. Because I, uh, I read a Star Wars audiobook because it wasn't in, you know, print format at the library. And it was terrible. And so I, like, swore off audiobooks for, like, a decade. Um, and now I'm an Audible subscriber, guys. So, I mean, tastes change. And sometimes you just get a really bad audiobook reader your mm. first time. So um, I, I love audiobooks. But, like, bad readers I'm still not great with. So, like, um, LibriVox is wonderful. And I <laughs> listen to um, a full cast Pride and Prejudice. But, like, if 90% of the cast hadn't been awesome, that, like, 10% of the cast would have made me choose something else. Mm-hmm. So, it's all in the reader for reading audiobooks. I think a lot of audiobooks, though, are just because it's more convenient. Listen to them in the car on a long trip kind of stuff. Oh, when you're working and so forth. Yeah. yeah. My commute is much more interesting now. <laughs> now, one thing I want to build with something you said for its large print, and I want to talk about briefly, is not so much a hate here. I've got a little story from one author. There's a warning especially to those listeners of ours who do indie publish or self-publish. Be careful the font you choose because if you go off onto some weird font, A, it points you immediately as being indie. Amateur. Exactly. And amateurish. B, it's also sometimes harder, harder to read. Furthermore, and this is really for, even though this happened to a traditional author, I'm sharing it with you as, as any indie authors. Uh, but yes, this can happen in a traditional world. If you move your book from a hardcover to a paperback, or you change, you, you need to make sure the font changes and is still legible, or still readable. Um, and yeah, that's going to change your page counts because you've gone from a paperback down to a you paperback know, a hard, book. A hardback, yeah, it's a yeah, a hardback. Thank you, hardback down to paperback. I get to meet one of my favorite science fiction writers, David Weber. Now, he became one of my favorite science fiction writers because normally when I read a series, I will read somebody's book, then I'll go read a bunch of whole bunch of other people's books, change genres, etc. And then eventually come back to the next book in the series. His Honor Harrington series, I read back-to-back five, six books until I finally caught up with him. He wrote another series, which was a fantasy series. Um, It's called, I think, at least the first book was called The War God's Own. And this is where the story is coming from. His publisher, because of time was getting ready to print his hardback book into, into a softback, or paperback book. They did not change the fonts. What they did, and I found this out because I ha- handed him a copy of it to sign, and he, all, he lit up and was telling everybody, using the book, showing everybody. This is the book I was talking about. Just using his, well, his words. What they did was they shrunk the pages to fit. And what that did was it caused the reading, caused the readability to reduce because the wording was harder to read. Tiny. So, very tiny. About, like, maybe, maybe 10 point, closer to 8? Yeah. I'd so, like to add extremely small print to my large print. No yeah. witness. Go on. Now, this, I'm going to say this outside of the industry itself. I will say for my previous position, where I used to work with Medicare... If just as a kind of a rule of thumb for all those out there, Medicare requires that the anything that's printed going out to Medicare uh, beneficiaries be in Arial or Times New Roman or its equivalent size font size twelve. So use as as a thought when you consider what size you want to make your fonts in stories you write. I've yes, got Ryan. Also, um, publishers like Courier New because yes. it's a monophase. Exactly. Courier New still lives. Okay, you're, you're dovetailed. Are you a dovetail, Ryan? Yes. Okay, Ryan dovetailed and Melanie dovetailed. I didn't realize 
Well, you'll have to explain what uh, monophase means, Dora. It means that each letter takes up the same amount ah, of space. That's yes. Right. Okay. That's all. Um, Ryan I, first, and then you. Okay. Oh, go ahead. Ryan. Um, you had, earlier you had mentioned about um, indie publishers, and I completely agree. Uh, people publishing publishing their book uh, um, on their own. Um, and if you're one of them, listen, because I was one of them. Um, have someone look over your, your work. Like, I know you love it. I know it's special. Uh, I know all the reasons, because it's probably more than half times that. Um, let someone look over it. Use beta readers. Uh, get someone to edit it. At the very least, run it through Grammarly. Um, just save yourself that, because you're going to have a book. That's, that's, as hard as you try to edit it on your own, you're going to have issues. Let, let someone look at it, um, because, like, you guys, like this group mentioned a, a couple of months ago, um, you, you'd rather, rather have the, the, the critical comments in the editing phase than on the reviews. Yep. And it's super important. Oh, yeah. Um, saying that, oh, they can't cite any of them, but... Sorry, appeal to authority here. I've been told that they've done studies and found that um, Times New Roman with those little, um, mm -hmm. the, those little marker, uh, whatever they're called, serifs, serifs, serifs. serifs. Trying to get yes, um, make things easier to read. Also, it it takes blessing to print, yeah. uh, but uh, so Times New Roman size for size is slightly easier to. Uh, read than Ariel. Yep. But uh, that's the actual regulation requirement. Yeah. From my old days. But yeah, just kind of want to point that out as an aspect. And everybody, I know we've gone over time, so this is clearly um, a two parter. Does, did anybody not get a chance to say anything on this last one? The one and two? In that case, tune in next week for, for the continued topic of what makes us go, nope, and take care. Thank you. The new theme songs for Right Pack Radio were written and performed by Meredith Tate. All copyrights remain with her.